Welcome back, MedTech Talk podcast listeners. This is Tom Salemi. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to do something a little different today. I'm going to hand the controls or the reins of this podcast over to Steve Krupa, who is the CEO of HealthEdge, also was an investor with Silos Group. And uh, he hosts our Breaking Health podcast. The Breaking Health podcast follows digital health leaders, focuses more on the healthcare provider space and the payer space. So it's not an area that we, uh, we talk about much in, on the MedTech Talk podcast, but certainly, as we've, uh, as we've hinted at, there's a convergence between the two, between digital health and MedTech, and Bigfoot Biomedical is, uh, I think, a prime example of that convergence. Steve spoke with Jeffrey Brewer, who is the president and CEO of Bigfoot. And Bigfoot is using smart technology, for lack of a better term, to, uh, to make insulin delivery devices better, to remove a lot of the, the literally guesswork or, I guess, rough, rough calculation work that uh, folks with type 1 diabetes have to do to uh, maintain their healthy levels of insulin. And uh, it's an important advance for diabetes, which is one of those diseases, I think, that people just assume we can, that people assume can be managed easily, and it really can't. So it's a great story. Uh, Jeffrey Brewer has a very, very personal connection to diabetes, uh, something that brought him into the space. So I think it's something that many of us can relate to. We're in med tech to do good, and Bigfoot Biomedical is uh, an example of a company that's trying to do a whole lot of good. So it's a terrific story that I wanted to share with you. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeffrey Brewer, president and CEO of Bigfoot Biomedical. And again, he'll be interviewed by Steve Krupa, who is the CEO of HealthEdge. I'm here with Jeffrey Brewer, the CEO and founder of Bigfoot Biomedical. Welcome to the podcast, Jeffrey. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, so we have the opportunity to to talk quite a bit, I hope, about um, the challenges of, of being a diabetic, particularly a late-stage type 2 diabetic or a type 1 diabetic. Um, and big, I know Bigfoot has acquired some assets and some intellectual property and is, is looking to build a pretty unique solution um, in that area. But like a lot of the guests on the podcast, um, you know, your, your entry into the field of diabetes treatment um, is uh, you know comes uh, with a personal story, and it would be awesome if you could uh, could share a little bit about that with us. Sure. Well, what we're doing at uh, Bigfoot Biomedical today is uh, uh, definitely for me driven by my personal touch point with type one diabetes. When my son was diagnosed in 2002, he was seven years old, and uh, I will admit I didn't have a full understanding for the implications of that diagnosis, but. Uh, I quickly learned that he was going to be dependent on this drug called insulin, uh, giving it to himself or uh, his parents giving it to him at that time for the rest of his life or until there was a cure. And I was told how dangerous this drug is, that uh, you can't take too much of it, or literally you could render yourself unconscious and, God forbid, uh, uh, die. Or over time, if you give too little, uh, all sorts of uh, nasty things could happen in the realm of complications from macrovascular and microvascular uh, disease. It uh, it was very scary. And the thing I was most shocked by was the lack of technology in order to help. Uh, it seemed like we had at the time, this is 2002, 747s that could land on autopilot. 
you know, nuclear factories, uh, power plants that can actually uh, uh, are automated and, and uh, all sorts of tools to take data, uh, control complex processes, and yet no help for delivering insulin. And so I went on a journey that uh, had me work for uh, about 12 years uh, with academic researchers, nonprofits, uh, found myself uh, as the CEO of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation for four years, tried to work with all the medical device companies, uh, with the FDA to define a pathway for testing, a system where computers would make decisions about delivering insulin. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it was clear to me that the technologies were matured. We had insulin pumps, we had continuous glucose monitors, we had smartphones, we had Bluetooth, we had cybersecurity, we had remote viewing, uh, all that stuff was there, but the medical device companies didn't seem to be putting it together. And then I had a friend of mine uh, who was on this uh, journey with me as well, Brian Maslish, uh, a.k.a. Bigfoot, yeah. uh, who literally hacked into an insulin pump and a continuous glucose monitor, tied them together with a smartphone, and created the first intelligent automation of insulin delivery that his wife and son have literally been benefiting from for almost five years now. Their lives have been changed, transformed. They're safer, easier lives uh, that uh, uh, are not accessible to the rest of the world, except if you can hack the devices yourself, which about 600 people have done. Wow. This is about three years ago when I realized that this was not a, a problem with technology. This was a problem with the business of designing technology that would scale in the real world of the healthcare system we have here in the United States and be reimbursed by that healthcare system. So that's what we've done here is we've basically taken all these technologies and uh, consumerized a medical device application that is going to use an insulin pump or capture insulin from a uh, insulin pen uh, to take glucose data from a continuous glucose monitor, now the Freestyle Libre, uh, tie those together securely uh, make the smartphone the interface mm -hmm. to the whole system, capture all the data, use the data, and then at the level of the patient, the point of care, the point of person, uh, make the decisions using artificial intelligence for the insulin that they're taking. Uh, this is all possible. It's been validated in clinical trials that we've run. The FDA is on board. But the problem is uh, it takes a lot of money and a lot of time to do right. these clinical trials. You have to license the medical devices or build proprietary technologies. You have to know how to do clinical trials, regulatory affairs, but also user experience and packaging and design and cloud systems and data science. It takes a lot of stuff, but we're uh, about three years down the journey in doing it and going to have uh, in pivotal trials next year, two systems that will help you take shots in the right amount of insulin or to use a pump and stay healthy and safe. Very cool. Let me Let me go back a little bit, right, just to sort of – there's a lot of ground to cover, I think, here, just in, in your journey, but also in just understanding, you know, the life of a, of a, of a type 1 diabetic or, or a diabetic that's, you know, um, has to use insulin. Um, the last I saw it, and this, you know, I, it, it, the, last I, the, the, the state of the art of the technology for a long time was simply you'd prick your finger, you'd, right, you'd measure your glucose level, and you'd use that as a tool to determine whether you were going to take an insulin injection, maybe a, a type 1 diabetic would be able to sense that they needed one, and that would be verification. I know, we, I know that was sort of the way that diabetics have lived for a long time. What is the current state of the art for the way they treat themselves for their disease? 
Yeah, you, you captured it uh, precisely. It's, it's getting data, and, and most people get data from pricking their finger and getting a single reading. It's doing calculations based on formulas that you get from your doctor either last week or 10 years ago, and then making a decision as to how much insulin that translates into and then it, actually injecting that. Uh, it hasn't gotten much better than that. Right. You actually have uh, now pumps. But those pumps are just like electronic syringes. It's just like a syringe that's connected to you, and you still have to do all the work yourself. You enter all the numbers. It does some calculations based on those numbers, but you're still in control. Mm-hmm. And then on the uh, other side, uh, the continuous glucose monitoring, it's just giving you more data more often. The person's head is still in between. Uh, and this is for people who, on average, hate math. Right. Most people can't do change at the supermarket, and yet we're giving them complex equations that they need to do in their head to dose a drug that, if given in the wrong amount, can kill them. It's crazy. No, it is. I, and, and what's interesting to me is I think, I think the, the average person who doesn't have a, a, a diabetic close to them that's using insulin may feel that, that, that there's been some that there's success, right? I mean, we know of famous people that have had diabetes, that have lived long lives. Um, and it's, it's, it's sort of under the, the radar unless you're directly attached to the, to the disease. But, but is it true that, that, that the current treatment techniques are having a great deal of success or are there a continual amount of difficulty uh, with people and, and their ability or will or capability to, to handle managing themselves with, the, with insulin? It is not true that people are on average uh, doing better. Uh, there are some people doing a lot better. Uh, let me tell you the profile of the person who does really well with the standard of care today. It is a very uh, knowledgeable person about their own physiology that understands the difference between interstitial fluid glucose levels and blood glucose, understands the difference between high glycemic index foods, low glycemic index foods, understands how long it takes for insulin when given by shot or pump subcutaneously to work, which is it doesn't work in, in, for 20 or 30 minutes. It peaks at like 50 minutes, and then it has a tail between three and five hours, depending on the person. If you understand all that, you can keep it in your head and are very disciplined. You don't forget. You remember if you do your math correctly. If you're very attentive and understand nutrition so you can estimate carbs, then you can do really well with the tools that are available. That's a very small percentage of the overall population. Most people are putting themselves in the hospital for semi-random doses of insulin that are uh, uh, entirely dangerous, not helping them to uh, stay safe. And also, they're spending a lot of time and effort and worry doing it. Their lives are substantially diminished by all this data, all these alarms, all of the intervention. Because now, because of these other tools that give you so much data, people feel an obligation. I mean, I got to use the data because otherwise I'm a bad person. Right. I'm, not, you know, uh, I'm not doing what I need to do for my wife or my husband or my kids or my parents. They feel crushed by the obligation to think 24-7 about this disease, which is omnipresent, and it uses every aspect of the life, causes a, a constant halo of concern and worry about dosing this dangerous drug that literally could them moments from unconsciousness or death. It's not normal, and it, it crushes a lot of people. And what happens is they end up just sort of giving up and turning away and, and then not paying attention to it. Unfortunately, my son is one of those people. When he was a child in the home, you know, his glucose was way under control because his parents were doing it. But now he's 22 years old. 
and he walks around with an HbA1c north of 10 because that's not the center of his life. Uh, he is choosing to think about other things, and adolescents or young uh, males especially <laughs> have great uh, powers of denial, and, and uh, immortality is uh, uh, sort of uh, par for the course in that age. Uh, that's why they don't let you drive a rental car until you're 25. <laughs> uh, it's not a good match. No. And, and even for people, as they get older, then they become preoccupied with their families and their children and their jobs. And, and they're never the, – the disease is not the first priority. Um, the tools today actually make you be omnipresently focused on a disease that you hate and, and that undermines your life. This is the power of technology. It actually starts to do some of that stuff in the background for people to simplify the maintenance, to actually redesign the products such that they have fewer pieces, they require fewer steps to use, you have to replace them less often. Uh, This is consumer design and consumer-focused optimization of a a product that uh, is not the way medical devices historically worked. Um, The only other company that I think thinks like this is Abbott, and that's why we're working with them on the uh, continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. Yeah, Well, yeah, the... the, um... So essentially, what would be ideal? It would be is would be to create an automated feedback loop so that uh, you had the drug available, right? You were monitoring uh, the right variables to determine whether or not you needed insulin. You were able to use those variables to calculate how much insulin you needed, and then you were able to administer that insulin theoretically. If you could do it automatically, the way an organ would do it, right? The way the body would do it, that'd be perfect. That would be perfect. That's not what today's technologies will support, unfortunately. But what they will support is a, is a lot of automation and then troubleshooting and, and, and help when uh, it doesn't uh, work out so well uh, as that and when you actually need the person's intervention. Uh, having a partner, so to speak, that's omnipresent and connected and then being able to actually feel the safety of a network that could escalate an alarm of your personal safety. I mean, I'll give you an example. My son, uh, when he was 15 years old, uh, seven years ago, he made a mistake that people make all the time, uh, giving themselves a double dose of insulin. Like you or I might take a pill in the morning and we look at the pill. Did I take that? Did I not take it? You might end up taking two or you take none. It's not that big a deal. Do it again tomorrow. With insulin, people forget they gave themselves a dose for, uh, for instance, a meal, and then they do it again, and it can be fatal. And it almost was for my son. Uh, even though the pump and the continuous glucose monitor made by Medtronic were talking to each other and, and, and the data was there, but it wasn't doing anything about it. And more importantly, it couldn't communicate to us down the hall. Uh, we were down the hall and it was only because my wife got up in the middle of the night and felt something was wrong, but he's alive today. He was in the ICU for two days, horrible experience. The, the problem is, is that you need to connect these devices up to the grid, so to speak. They need to be on the network because all that we needed was an alarm in our room that would get us up and give him a couple glasses of orange juice, problem solved, or something that would feed back to him. But if he's not uh, conscious to be able to help himself, uh, even as an adult, uh, why not take the geolocation from the phone and dispatch 911? You would literally save people's lives. But none of these devices today are connected up to the internet because they're not secure. They weren't thought through as Internet of Things devices. That, that's what the challenge is, and, and that's what we're doing at Bigfoot. Cool. So in, in sort, of the, sort of the opening part of our discussion, you, you started to describe what it is that you're trying to do you know, in the context of your background and your mission as a company. But 
um, so let's get specific. What what and I, and I understand you know that that um, you know some of these devices have been hacked by some very smart people to create the automation that you're describing. Um, so what is Bigfoot building? How far along are you in building that? And you know what is sort of like you have a vision. What are the sort of uh, intermittent steps to getting to your vision? Our vision is to take all the pieces that you need uh, to safely and easily administer insulin uh, and bundle them together in a system that is one prescription that covers everything, the glucose monitor, the insulin pump if you're using a pump, or else the attachment that goes on the disposable insulin pens if you're using shots, uh, gathers all the data automatically. Nobody plugs in a cable. Nobody ever has to transcribe a number. It's all connected. It's all secure. And it's going to have artificial intelligence that's automatically uh, either dosing insulin based on the feedback loop from the CGM, or it's going to be telling you what to do in order to stay safe and healthy. Uh, it's going to connect to the grid and have an ability to propagate alarms if you get into trouble, such that someone can help you, a permission third party, a spouse, a parent, uh, or a clinician. Uh, and it's all going to be designed to work together. Kind of like the iPhone is designed to work with iOS, is designed to work with iTunes, is designed to work with iCloud and the MacBook. Uh, all of this stuff was designed as an ecosystem that it makes sense when you use it together. That's the way we're approaching the problem. And you have to have the devices themselves. And, and so we've licensed the Libre uh, uh, glucose monitor from Abbott. Uh, that will be part of the bundle, the package. We have an insulin pump that we have modified to become the first Internet of Things secure device that literally displaces the interface for it to the phone, an app on the phone, a phone that you can buy at the Apple Store, not a lockdown medical device. So we blended the world of consumer technology, enterprise technology, and medical device in a way that the FDA will support and that is safe and secure and usable by a whole bunch of people. And we're going to deliver it in two different uh, products. One is the effusion pump for people who will wear a pump and who need the safety and security that can be delivered by having that real-time control over insulin infusion. But we're also using the same fundamental artificial intelligence and cybersecurity and user experience skill in order to develop a solution for people taking shots. And the idea is you get one prescription for the insulin and you get one prescription for Bigfoot and we take care of all the pieces you come to you in a digestible hole that's easy to use, not just for people seeing endocrinologists at Stanford, but for everybody who's seeing primary care providers, and literally two-thirds of people with type 1 diabetes are seeing primary care providers today as their sole source of treatment. Hey, everybody. Tom here, resting the controls of the podcast back for just a moment to remind you that our Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is happening on November 30th in Boston. I've talked about this before. It's a... Uh, it's not a gadget conference per se. It's really a discussion amongst providers and payers about what innovation means to them and how they're adopting new approaches. So it's uh, very topical to, to MedTech. We're actually seeing some of our MedTech community uh, registering. And I uh, just ask you to take a look at the agenda and see if it appeals to you. Go to healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters egy.com. Healthag is the producer of the MedTech Conference, and the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, and the MedTech Talk podcast as well. So I hope you uh, see something you like. If you do and you want to register, please do use the MedTech Talk code, and you'll save uh, $400. So that's pretty good. Now let's get back into this conversation 
with Jeffrey Brewer of Bigfoot Biomedical. So just a quick technical question, probably more of a biological question, but, you know, whenever you're trying to build automation and in feedback loops, you know, one of your challenges is, is the lag between um, the, uh, the stimulus and the response, right? So if you turned around and you mm-hmm. inject insulin or you pump insulin into the body and then you get a change in the reading of the variable you're trying to control, you've got to sort of a, adapt to it. How quickly does the body respond to insulin from a measurable point of view in these devices? Very slowly. That's the main problem to overcome. Right. So, so when you say uh, slow, you have to, is it hours? Days, well, actually, minutes, like literally, weeks. if you if you inject insulin, yeah. it's not going to be working for 20 minutes. Okay, like not at all. Um, it, it will have its peak action time anywhere between 30 and 50 minutes, uh, and then it has a long tail that could be between three and five hours, depending on a person's individual physiology. Gotcha. So that's a long uh, time, and it's a a curve that uh, uh, doesn't allow complete automation. Right. So the way you get around this today is. You, you have real-time automation of what's called the basal rate, uh, the, the uh, trickle flow of insulin that's covering your basal metabolism and actually varies in terms of your insulin sensitivity across the day. That's what provides your, your body's basic needs. But then you actually, at mealtime, you announce uh, in our system that you're having a meal. You qualify uh, that meal in terms of small, medium, large carbohydrate content, and then that corresponds to a dose of insulin that then we monitor to make sure it was the right dose. And over time, these feedback loops can correct for if you uh, uh, made a mistake and gave too much insulin at mealtime, you made a mistake and gave too little insulin at mealtime, so that at the next meal, you end up at a normal blood sugar uh, before you start the process over again. Today, what happens is people make a, a guess, they give insulin, and then they see how that worked out six hours later. And usually it worked out uh, uh, such that they're out of range or they're not uh, where they want to be. The feedback loop that's working on a moment-by-moment basis in order to give a little more insulin or a little less insulin has a tremendous stabilizing impact. Uh, And this isn't just me saying it. This has been validated in Mm -hmm. uh, tens of millions of dollars of uh, proof-of-concept trials done by the NIH and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. Uh, we have a simulation engine here that models the physiology of glucose and carbohydrate metabolism and can demonstrate in all uh, permutations, all the range of physiologic variability, uh, how these algorithms are able to stabilize glucose. And then whenever it can't uh, stabilize glucose, like for instance, if you've given way too much insulin, for instance, and didn't eat the meal that you told the system you were going to eat, you're going to be in trouble. You need something to happen, but we're going to tell you sooner than you're going to realize it, if you do realize it, that you need to do something before you become impaired. Mm-hmm. Uh, use case would be, for instance, you're sitting down, you're going to eat a big bowl of pasta. You tell the system, I'm eating 100 grams of pasta. Uh, phone rings, kids are in trouble, something's happened, drama, you got to run out the door. I can't tell you how many times people, they just uh, give themselves insulin, they're interrupted from eating. There are so many different scenarios where what the system knows versus what uh, the person does are different. Uh, But the beauty of a connected system, one that's always monitoring, is that within 20 minutes, I'm going to be able to diagnose there's a problem while you're running to get the kids. I'm going to say, whoa, wait a second. Uh, I saw a big announcement of a carb event, the meal. Uh, I see this rapidly dropping glucose. I don't see any evidence of a meal problem. So either the sensor's failing or the person's not uh, uh, eating the meal, uh, something's going on, let me just ping them. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ping them through the phone that they're already using and, and is the centerpiece of their connected existence to the rest of the world. I'm going to say, did you have that mail you that told me you did have? And if the answer is no, we can fix the problem right there, bring it to the person's conscious awareness. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times a situation like this will actually end up in a hospital visit because by the time a person realizes that they did something wrong, they become impaired. The feedback loop is not just controlling the pump. It's also a feedback loop that is presenting information and communicating with the patient in order to help them to stay safe if the system can't keep them safe. Right. So this is the complication of the disease is that it's got to be a multiple, uh, multi-layer feedback loop. The first feedback loop is just do it for the person, give them the insulin or take away the insulin. Uh, second is uh, dialogue with them through the interface on the phone to fix the problem. And then if they're already not able to dialogue and partner uh, to escalate and send the word out to somebody to help. Those three uh, levels of automation and feedback loop will literally transform the healthcare economy and save tens of billions of dollars in hospital emergency room visits every year. And all by the way, it will also make people feel a lot safer and live better and nobody wants to be in the hospital. I think I understand it. I, I really think I understand it now. I just wanted to sort of repeat it back to you so I can see if I've got it right. So the in, insulin itself has, you know, a sort of um, time lag to it in terms of how it begins to act in the body. Um, food has a, has different types of time based on yes, glycemic on in, you index, and how right? You so fat and, and glucose yeah. or protein. So like in your example, if, uh, if you needed to get sugar quickly into your bloodstream, you drink orange juice, right? Because it would be a very, very uh, sugary thing, right? If I were to sit down and uh, eat a steak, it may have no impact on my on, – and so knowing what I'm eating, knowing when I'm eating and so forth is is a good predictive model for how much insulin I might eat 20 minutes from now. Is that sort of a way to think about it? At some level, well, it, it, uh, I would think about it a little bit differently. Everybody who uh, it, it has uh, uh, type one diabetes is trained that you need to give insulin at mealtime mm-hmm. uh, if you're on multiple daily injection therapy. And the problem is, is they're guessing. Uh, they're always guessing, and sometimes they're they're very wrong. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't mean you don't have to try. Right. Uh, if you can actually bring some automation in the background to compensate for those bad guesses. Or if you can bring some dialogue of uh, safety to actually help the person to correct for the guesses before they turn into health events, or if the guesses actually uh, uh, blow through those two protection layers, then actually helping them to get the uh, external help they need. Uh, it's a hard thing to, to always get it right with insulin, and people are always getting it wrong for the most part. And the safety barrier that you can actually create around them in order to protect them. Uh, to actually fix it and to make it such it doesn't escalate into a health crisis. That's what the technology that, that we're developing brings, and uh, it, it can be incredibly powerful. Well, very good. So um, tell me about, you know, sort of like one, our last path of discussion, uh, the Abbott device and your relationship with them and, and the value that they're going to bring to your company. It's a really cool device. Um, it, it is a continuous glucose monitor that for the first time, does not require you to calibrate it with a finger stick uh, blood glucose reading. So uh, every blood glucose monitor or every continuous glucose monitor up until now has required that you give it a reference point uh, of what your glucose is so that it makes sure it's giving you the right number back. Uh, The problem with that is that 
people don't calibrate or don't calibrate properly, uh, technically, uh, you're supposed to wash your hands, use an alcohol swab. You're supposed to use the second drop of blood when you're measuring it, not the first drop, because there's actually a clinical difference between the impurities that are between the ridges of your fingerprints that get washed out for the first drop, and then the second drop of blood. And only use the second drop of blood uh, during periods where your glucose is not changing rapidly uh, after a meal, after you exercise, or if anything else is going on. In the real world, no one does this. And when I say no one, I'm not joking. 99.9% of the people do not do this. Actually, about 30% of the people, they literally don't even do a test at all. They just give the machine a number that they, that they got from the machine in order to confirm that it's doing the right thing. They're busy. They're sloppy. They're just, you know, whether they're doing the right thing or not, uh, this disease is hard. It grinds people down. They're always looking for uh, something that they can do that simplifies it. The easiest thing you can do is not wash your hands, not calibrate. Uh, that ends up being dangerous in an automated system. Having a sensor that in the factory is calibrated, never requires you to prick your finger, is an absolute game changer. First of all, just in the simplicity of it, um, not having to worry about carrying the finger stick uh, glucometer around, not having to worry about washing your hands. A lot of steps get removed. It's also just a very user-friendly system. It's very flat. It goes on the back of the arm in a place that's not likely to be knocked off for most people. It's only in one piece, so you don't have to need a transmitter to a sensor and then have different maintenance cycles or charge the transmitter. It just comes in one uh, little piece, and you, you stamp it on. It's like stamping uh, a stamp on a piece of paper. Uh, you, you don't even feel it, and then it just works for 10 days, and it's a pretty amazing product. Uh, I, uh, I'm very enthusiastic because it is uh, designed for real world use where people have too much stuff to do already. Uh, we're using the second generation of it, which is the exact same form factor, but also adds a wireless uh, chip to transmit a stream of numbers that will go directly to our system. Uh, our system will be in pivotal trials towards the end of next year. Uh, we've got all the pieces that we need, insulin delivery, glucose meters, software, uh, data systems, cloud systems, uh, we're all ready to go and, and want to get uh, this to the marketplace. My son's going to be the first customer. <laughs> Very cool. So what do you think, a year or two before you get through all of your uh, trials? Unfortunately, it's going to be longer than that. Class yeah. three medical device systems, and this is why this stuff is hard. Yeah. Uh, take uh, clinical trials, uh, a three-month trial, which in, in uh, ordinary course of business is going to take about nine months or a year to do if you're moving at light speed. Uh, a review with the FDA, uh, six months, uh, and we're about a year away from starting that process. So we're looking at 2020 okay. uh, when we're going to have this on the market. I wish you the best of luck. I, it's a, it sounds like a really important uh, project and will be an obviously a, a very successful company um, when all things go well. You know, we're, we're out of time, so I, I want to give you one last word. Um, where can people find out about uh, your company, the Abbott device, um, any blog updates? So do you have a website, or Twitter accounts, Facebook, all well, that stuff? We, we do. Uh, Bigfoot Biomed uh, uh, is our Facebook site. Uh -huh. If you go there, uh, and this is a new thing for medical device, we're, we're basically broadcasting our journey to the social media community. Uh, there are 70,000 uh, people uh, affected and interested in this disease following us and 
You can see uh, clinical trial subjects. You can see people from the company and hear their stories. 40% of us have a direct connection to type 1 diabetes. 12 people at the 50-person company have it themselves. Uh, we're involving the community in our journey. And uh, Bigfoot Biomed uh, is the uh, uh, keyword for uh, finding us on Facebook. Bigfootbiomedical.com is our website. But I think the Facebook page really tells a story. It's updated, and uh, uh, I encourage people to go there and follow us on the journey. Terrific. Well, thanks for your time, and, and, and really, I, I think we'll all be pulling for you here. Um, I wish you the best. Thanks for your interest in what we're doing. I appreciate the opportunity to tell the story. And that is a wrap. Thanks so much, Jeffrey Brewer from Bigfoot Biomedical for joining us on the podcast. Thank you, Steve Krupa, for leading this great conversation. And thank you, MedTech Talk Podcast listeners, for, uh, for indulging me and for uh, allowing me to bring some new voices into this podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this particular episode. If you could email me, let me know what you thought. My email is tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy, again, is spelled with the word health followed by the letters egy.com. And as always, if you could uh, tell your friends about the MedTech Talk podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. Or give us a ranking on iTunes, and that'll uh, help us out as well. But that is a wrap, and uh, tune in next week. I'll be back with another purer MedTech story, and uh, it'll be a good one. I've already conducted the interview. So uh, tune in next week for another tale of innovation on the MedTech Talk podcast.